Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Players Championship. And joining me to break it all down, Sia Najad is here. Sia, what up? What a fun weekend we just had. From start to finish, that was such a great tournament, and I think we got another one lined up for us, Rick. I think we do. You and I were uh, battling it out in the the two hundred dollar single entry. We did okay, not life changing money, but we we had a sweat. I think throughout the uh, the length of the weekend. Yeah, I mean twentieth and twenty fifth respectively. That is uh, out of eleven hundred. That those are those are good finishes. You know, it was. It's always you know one guy we could have swapped out and swapped back in. You know, in our cases. Obviously, Bryson was that guy, but we were on a lot of other guys. And and thanks to you and Greg, by the way, because Corey Connors last Monday wasn't really on my radar, particularly because of the course history he had here. But you guys were right to ignore that and just look at his ball striking. And uh, so I had him in that lineup uh, that we're talking about, and that helped quite a bit. Corcon, we found him last week, and we'll look for who that player is this week at the Players' Championship. And Greg Ducharme is going to help us with that. Greg, good to see you. How's it going? Great. Uh, yeah, Corey Connors was great. Um, the, again, I, I thought, and we were saying this before we even started, the model last week, we were right on it. And like um, the, the, whatever the best possible lineup you could have, I, I feel like we, were, we sniffed right around that this week. So all in all, it was a great week. Um, I didn't put in the right combinations to get a magic lineup like the two of you did, but uh, I'm thinking this might be the week. The best possible lineup you could have had last week was Bryson DeChambeau, Lee Westwood, Corey Connors, Jordan Spieth. We could have gotten to all of those guys. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Andrew Putnam and then Greg Richie Warinsky. That's your guy. Yeah. The, um, see, Richie's easy because, I mean, it just takes one little one little endorsement from me and he will he'll go come and tied second right that's what richie tends to do but it, richie and andrew putnam were the tough ones because i don't i don't know if aside from my close connection with richie Wierenski and my <laughs> uh my fandom of him i don't really think there's there's much reason behind those but the other the other three and jordan you can even throw in there a little bit the other three were perfect they made perfect sense and jordan you can throw in there because you love him so we could we could have gotten really close yeah, we could have gotten this core kind of four, Sia, and uh, I must point out that if you played that team, it would have cost you $48,000. You could have been $2,000 under the cap on DraftKings, which seemingly is what the optimal lineup looks like week in and week out is money left on the table. Yeah, and I think you're going to see that this week too because anybody that has already looked at the pricing, and I know I did three days ago because we had the all we all had the luxury of doing that. Correct. The, the pricing was really, I mean, it's soft. You know, I mean, at least it appears soft because, first of all, at the top, especially in that nine K range, which we'll talk about. I mean, you've got some absolute superstars. Now, typically, the nine K range is rich with some superstars, but not this many. Obviously, it's a deep field. But you go down to the seven K range, even dip your toe into the, the high six K range. There are a lot of good golfers, some of which we were on last week, who did really, really well. Yeah, the f- fact that pricing came out early and this is a millionaire maker week on DraftKings uh, does create that soft pricing. We're going to talk about that more in depth, but I've, I've got winners. I've got subscriptions to Sportsline to give away an entire year to award-winning picks to the patented Sportsline model, and the winners from last week are at Trevor Anthony and at L, nope, at JLH. Tigers 80 
congratulations. Uh, Producer Jacob, I assume, will reach out to you and get that all squared away. But if you want to enter a draw to win a subscription to Sportsline, all you have to do is leave a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts on the first cut. Tell us who's going to miss the cut at this week's Players Championship. Leave your Twitter handle and follow at First Cut Pod on Twitter so that we can contact you when you win. But this week, gentlemen, we've got a players championship. And Greg, it's 154 players. It's one of the largest fields that we get on the PGA Tour. And it is also the deepest field that we get. 48 of the top 50 players in the world. The two notable absences are Matthew Wolf, who, who opted out. We knew that for a couple of days. And then, Bro- and then Brooks Kepka, in which the news came down from his withdrawal on Sunday afternoon. So those are the only two of the top 50 in the world not teeing it up this week. Yeah, particularly uh, kind of disappointed to, to see Brooksy out of it. I, I was really looking forward to see what he would do this week. He seems to be in a, in a really good place. Um, part of my reasoning was, and I already had this script lined up for today, but he's healthy. It was a big part of it, and I mm-hmm. guess he's not. So we're going to miss out on that. But, Rick, you mentioned the deepest field this week, and I think it's extremely interesting here at the Players' Championship because the golf course lends itself to kind of a – anybody can win style. And I really think there are a number of different styles that can win out here. There are, of course, things that we like, and there's a, a model that we'll lay out in a little bit here. But um, but I really think there's an, a lot of different styles that can win. Just consider last time it was played in March, uh, which was the first time in a while, you had Rory McIlroy win, and you had Jim Furyk come in second place. right? And that's kind of like what we got last week with, uh, with, with Bryson and Lee Westwood. But it's even... It, it's even farther apart, and I think you can see that kind of variance this week. So it's going to be fun to to build some lineups. Last, no, it wasn't last year's 2019. I'm going to say that a lot. Not, I'm going to say last year. I mean 2019. Okay, the last time this was played, the strength of field was 882. That's the official World Golf Ranking strength of field. To put that into comparison, the only event in 2020 that would have been stronger was the PGA Championship. So this was actually this. This was stronger than Bryson's win at winged foot. So we are talking about an absolute stacked field, Sia. And I like where Greg was going here about the types of players that can find success. You know, I I run the model every single week. This week, it's okay. You know, last week it was two very apparent uh, stats. It was strokes gained off the tee. It was strokes gained approach. They were stronger than any other. It's a bit blurrier this week. And I think that uh, just by looking at the thread of winners, you can kind of see why. You know, Rory McIlroy, uh, Webb Simpson, Siwoo Kim, Ricky Fowler, Jason Day. There's not a whole lot of similarities in those games between just those five golfers. So you can really find a lot of different ways to have success around Sawgrass. It brings almost the entire field into play. I mean, maybe not from a win standpoint, but certainly from a DFS standpoint, all the way down to the 6,000 range. I believe Tyler Duncan is down there. Like those are some examples. Some of the guys who really performed well last week, Doug Gim, Richie Wierenski, I think is 6,400. He has two good performances here. But my point is, it really brings everybody into the mix. I mean, usually when you have those blurry lines, I kind of just will lean on approach. I, I want some consistency off the tee. I want some accuracy off the tee, but... For me, it's going to be a second shot thing with with respect to my models. That's where the emphasis is going to be. So that's what I'm going to be looking into. But you don't need, like to your point, you don't need to be a bomber. You don't need need to be a super long hitter. This course pretty much suits everybody. It really does. And and Greg, I'd like you to put a bow on this because you brought up something that I think is worth mentioning again. This is going to be the second year in which we've moved this event from May. And this is historically, you know, TPC Sawgrass, it has these Bermuda greens, but this is the time of year where you get the overseeding. It's kind of this weird POA bent mix, and it's kind of an awkward strain at this point in the year. And and the weather's going to be different, right? I mean, are there any big changes that we should consider from past May versions? of this event into now what we have a March version of this event. So aside from weather, it's typically a little bit slower in general. When you have this golf course in May and it's straight Bermuda, it gets really fast and it plays short, but it, but it, it's fiery and the greens get really firm and, um, and the ball's on the ground a lot, which is quite interesting. When, when you have the rye in there, um, even like last week at Bay Hill, we saw really dry greens, but the rye, the overseed rye in the fairways slowed the ball down a little bit. So if you landed it short of the greens, it would kind of settle and collect and it wouldn't bounce the way you expected. If you landed it on the green, it could bounce all the way to the back or through the back. Um, so you just have to 
I'm not saying that you're going to see that again this week. What I am saying is the ball's not going to release quite as much in the fairway. So if you get a dry week, it's going to play a little longer. If you get a wet week, it can play quite a bit longer. Um, but all in all, based on the weather we saw last week at, um, at Bay Hill and the conditions, it seems to be a little warmer right now. I, I haven't seen the latest weather report yet, but I, I expect the golf course to play um, similar to May, just a little bit longer, a little bit um, a little bit slower. Okay. Awesome. Thank you very much for that. And gentlemen, it is March, which means it's the month of madness. And the eye on college basketball podcast is here as your audio guide for the entire NCAA tournament. Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander will offer a complete breakdown as soon as the bracket is announced on Sunday so that you stand a chance in your pool this year. The coverage continues with reactions after each day of games and previews of upcoming rounds. If you want the best March madness analysis, subscribe to the eye on college basketball podcast anywhere you find this one. Let's jump into the 10K range on DraftKings. It's led by the number one player in the world, Dustin Johnson, at 11,200. John Rahm with some unfinished business around TPC Sawgrass at 10,900. Rory McIlroy, technically our defending champion, is 10,006. Xander Shoffley is 10,003. And then, gentlemen, there's a void here because this is where Brooks Kepka was. He withdrew after the pricing already came out. He was 10,100. So Sia, this creates a bit of a gap from the 10K to the 9K. And I wonder if that's going to change the way that you approach the upper portion of this player pool. So I think even if Brooks Kepka was in there at 10,100, I would probably still be focusing on the 9K range just because, like I said before, I love the value there. I love the superstar quality in the 9K range. So no, it doesn't really change my approach. I mean, there's a couple 10 guy, 10K guys here that I'll probably have a little bit of exposure to, but I'm definitely not going to be leaning heavy on this range. And for the record, we talked about this a little bit before the show when we were talking about Dustin Johnson, but you can really make whatever lineup you want to make here because of that, quote, soft pricing. So if you want to jam in DJ and, you know, and then skip right down to the high 9K range, feel free to do that. But for me, I'm, I'm going to have fewer shares here. A, a distinguishing quality up here might be ownership percentage. There mm-hmm. is some ownership percentage that, that is, has already trickled out because, again, we, we've had a lot of information on these players. We've been able to submit lineups for a few days now. The least popular guys at this point, and it's very early, are John Rahm and Xander Shoffley. So I may lean that direction, but if I'm not considering ownership percentage, I mean, you kind of had me convinced pre-show that DJ probably is a pretty <laughs> smart play, um, even though 30 seconds before that conversation, I wasn't so sure about him. So, you know, DJ and Rory are probably going to be the guys I'm going to be looking at for like cash perspectives. But if I'm in this range from a contrarian standpoint, I think John Rahm and Xander might be the plays. Yeah, as we tend to do, we get going before we get hot. And Greg, I was I was making a case for Dustin Johnson, the uh, number one player in the world, pretty clearly. And it's it's rare that he flies under the radar anywhere, but it, it almost feels that way this week because of what Bryson just did. There's been more oxygen spent on Rory McIlroy and uh, you know Colin Morikawa as of late. And here's DJ, who admittedly did not play well at all at the WGC Workday, but he lost. 10 strokes putting I'm willing to say he gets that figured out after a couple of weeks off and if I know Dustin Johnson Greg uh and he has proven this to us he doesn't care what his score was or what his finish was the week before the day before the minute before he can go out and win any golf tournament in the blink of an eye yeah you're absolutely right this is why he is so well it's why he's the highest priced player in the field. It's why he's world number one, because he can go out and shoot 77 in the first round of the, the, the work day. And all of a sudden he shoots 69, one of the lower rounds of the day, the next, the very next day. Right. And, and he, you feel like he's going to get himself right back in the mix. So uh, his, we talk about like sticky course history or not sticky courses. Dustin Johnson's recent form is not sticky at all. Right. Cause he has that ability to pop off and win at any yeah. given moment. And I will say, I, Sawgrass to me has some of the most interesting course history. If you look at players, like find anybody and they all have miscuts and, and top five finishes and they have great rounds and they shoot 77. It's very volatile. What you see in the scores out of some of the best players in the world around here, but DJ is somewhat consistent. I mean, 
He was 28th and 16, tied 12th and 17, tied 17th and uh, 18, and tied 5th at the last rendition in 19. So I, I think he is one of the more consistent players around here, which is interesting. It has my interest. I don't feel great about it, um, probably for, I didn't hear what Sia said before the show, but I, I imagine I have many of the same reasons as him, <laughs> where the form is questionable right now. But as you said, Rick, I mean, he could be just standing a half an inch closer to the ball, and all of a sudden he's fixed and dominating again. So I'm, I'm going to have a little bit of DJ, um, but I'm not going to go heavy, heavy uh, centerpiece of my lineup, kind of kind of heavy. Without looking this up, and I'm going to pull it up here shortly. I imagine this is the event Dustin Johnson has played the most without a victory, right? This is going to be his 12th start, and I feel like if you've given him 11 starts at another event, he's probably won it. His best finish did come the last time he teed it up, and it was a T5. So, see, I want to mine into a couple of these other guys here. I mean, I, I'm at the point with Rory McIlroy where I'm just left kind of doing this just like the shrug right you know the case that i kind of made on on sunday night's recap pod was you know a, a lot of guys not named rory mcelroy or not a top 10 player in the world would love to have had the last 14 months from rory mcelroy uh but we kind of look at it as a failure and he's 10,600 and does he have to win this golf tournament to pay that price off and if he does have to how much do we think he could do that? Like, is this possible? It's, I mean, he can pay it off, even if he doesn't win. Because, it, it, you know, as you know, it comes down to uh, DraftKings scoring or FanDuel scoring. But it's interesting because I, I agree with you. We're grading him on perhaps too hard of a scale. We're grading him on the Rory scale instead of like the scale we use for pretty much everybody else. And the thing is, yeah, these aren't terrible terrible tournaments he's having 10th and 6th the last two yet like to your point we deem that kind of a failure for Rory so I I don't really know what to say about him I I think he's not completely locked in I think he's not completely focused for whatever reason and and he's even said that himself so you know from an exposure standpoint yeah maybe one or two lineups but I'm not super confident playing Roy McIlroy right now uh, I did look it up. Dustin Johnson has played one other event that he has has he has more starts without a win. Greg, you're our uh, resident trivia. Would you like to garner a guess? I at guess this? my guess would be PGA Championship. No, uh, no, that is second. So he he has 11 starts at the PGA Championship and 11 at the Players. He's never won either of those. He has played the Memorial 12 times, wow. and he has never won the Memorial. So there you go, um, it, it, Greg. You know we'll we'll finish up on the 10K range with John Rom here because the last time this event was played in its entirety, John Rom uh, seemed to be in control. He seemed to be at least lurking. He gets to the 11th hole on Sunday. He's in a fairway bunker, and that's where we get the memorable. Uh, interaction between him and his caddy about whether they should be laying up to a flat spot in the fairway or should he try to go for it? Uh, John Rahm essentially says, I'll take it from here. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm the man and plunks it uh, in the water. And he was, he was never the same since he fell to T12. So now he has, you know, won a couple of times uh, in the last year. He is got unfinished business here at the players championship. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on his chances this week. So that moment um, could have been the most important moment in John Rahm's career. He kind of went on a pretty hot run after that. And if he had won a major, which I kind of had a feeling he was going to do, if he had won a major during that stretch, that next little bit after, I think that would be a moment that we really look back on. And we did look back on it after the memorial. Um, So I I think it was an important moment in John Rahm's career. Um, My concern with him is even with that round, he has a round in every single time he's been here of 76 or higher. One round throughout the entirety of the tournament that seems to be close to a blow-up round. And it leaves me wondering. It gives me great fear. Um, It also, maybe it's kind of like the putting thing where, hey, all he has to do is put four rounds together and this is going to be a success. But I I am a little bit worried about what he's got going on with the putter. There's been a dramatic fall off in his putting statistics um, from last year to this year with the equipment change. uh, And I'm I'm not confident in the new putter yet. So both of my big concerns with John Rahm hinder on extremely volatile uh, aspects and vol- and aspects that if he weren't the second highest player in the field, if he were a 7K guy, even a, even a, a low end 9K guy, I'd probably say, OK, I'll take those risks. I'm going to take that chance because he can put four rounds together. He can have a good putting week this week and he's hitting it well enough to get in. But he's he's the second highest priced player in the field. 
And it gives me a little bit of concern. So I am a fa- I'm, I'm a fade on Rom right now, but it definitely it's it's a nervy fade, and I I wouldn't be surprised if I faded him and he won. I, that's the kind of but but I don't think he's going to win, and I, I don't I, I'm not really um, thinking this is going to be a great week for him. All the fades in this field feel a little bit nervy, Greg. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah we'll you're right. Cut you some slack on that one. Uh, to put plays. That- <laughs> That's true. To put some of what, what Greg was saying into context, uh, John Rahm is essentially a half a stroke worse this season on the putting greens than he was last year. This is his worst putting season since 2018, so obviously not great with the flat stick. Let's jump down to the 9K range, gentlemen, and see a, um I mean, this is this is the range. There is there is so much greatness here, and I will. This is my opportunity to point out again: the prices came out early, and that matters. And I think it matters particularly for Bryson DeChambeau because if if pricing would have came out today, Monday, like it normally does, what do you think? See, if Bryson's a thousand dollars more expensive instead of being ninety seven hundred, he's ten thousand seven hundred after what he did at Bay Hill. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's probably right. I think you probably vault him right above Roy McIlroy. Maybe Roy gets a bump down a, a hundred or two. Yeah, so so this range starts with Justin Thomas at ninety nine hundred, Bryson there at ninety seven, past champion Webb Simpson at ninety five, Colin Morikawa who just won at ninety four, Victor Hovland ninety three, Patrick Cantlay at ninety two, Tony Finau at ninety one, Patrick Reed at a flat nine thousand. See, we this is where I think a lot of decisions are going to have to be made. We're going to have to figure out who's who's a play, who's a fade. So what say you? I mean, I like all of it. Can I have all of it, Rick? <laughs> well, I first mean, of all, uh, let's make a team of eight guys <laughs> that we can't right. afford. Here they are. <laughs> well, that's that's interesting because I actually think maybe maybe for the first time this year, I think we're going to have a lot in the DFS community. I think we might have a lot of people starting their action here because you, it, you're right to do it. I mean, you could, like you said, Bryson is really a 10K guy. Justin Thomas, you could argue, is really a 10K guy. You could even, in my opinion, you could even say Webb Simpson and Colin Morikawa are a little mispriced and they should be five or 600 more than they are. So for me, I mean, the, the guys I like the most, I've already done a few lineups, as you guys know, Webb Simpson, Colin Morikawa, and Victor Hovland stick out the most to me. Webb, just because he's a great ball striker, he's a great course fit, he's in good recent form, at a sixth place at the, the WGC Workday. Uh, he's had success here. He's won here before. Colin Morikawa, I mean, what can you really say? I mean, he's he's <laughs> coming off a win. He's great with his irons. His, his game fits here. And if his putter is anywhere near as good as it was at the WGC, he's going to be just fine here. And then Victor Hovland is interesting to me because he had such a bad Saturday and Sunday that it strikes me that maybe the percentages, ownership percentages, will be down just a touch on him. And honestly, at this point, there might be sort of Victor Hovland fatigue. I think pretty much the entire DFS community has been on him for two, three, four weeks in a row. And then you have all these choices in the 9K range to pivot off of him. So I think people will just be kind of wanting to pivot off him, whether they like his game here or not. So those are the three I'm focused on. Um, Rick, I'll tell you, I listened to your show earlier, the one you did earlier about Justin Thomas. And I yeah. your take on Justin Thomas, I absolutely agree with. I'll let you or, or Greg talk about that. What I want to point out with Justin Thomas is that you know, that off the tee game has been so horrific, especially the last tournament he played. But round four, he actually turned it around and gained strokes there. So you're looking at a guy that might have it all put together here. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad there, there's so much to unpack here. So, Greg, we're going to have to figure this out. So I, I really like the take on Victor Hovland, which is essentially, you know, he fades on the weekend in a very popular spot. And now there's a lot of other guys around him that you can play. I think that's interesting. My take on Justin Thomas is, yeah, he was brutal at workday with his driver. He lost nearly six shots. It was his worst uh, off the tee performance in my database, which goes back to the start of 2015. That's unlikely to happen again. The good sign for Justin Thomas is he gained nine and a half strokes on approach. It feels to me like he's lurking, like he's like that version of that we talk about all the time, Greg, about Justin Thomas, which is be great with your irons, be good off the tee, and be a zero putter. That feels like we are really close to again. I understand where you're coming from completely here. And the hope is if you're, if you're on Justin Thomas this week and I can get behind that pretty easily. Um, although I do sit, I, I teeter on the fence a little bit with him. And I think right now, Justin Thomas is the guy that I am the most 
perplexed about. Most of the guys in the 10K range, I'm I'm kind of a fade on, with the exception of DJ. Again, I'm on the fan. I'm I'm I don't know which way to go. I feel like they could win. I feel like they could miss the cut, and I wouldn't be surprised either way. Justin Thomas is the same to me, and the reason is that horrific off the tee game gets penalized here dramatically. And and it's the kind of place where you lose the ability to you lose the ability to utilize your approach game, which can be brilliant. Mm-hmm. You lose you lose the ability to um, to scramble with your second shots, like you get to see at Augusta National, at many of the Northeast golf courses that they play. That ability gets taken away if you drive it out of play. So that worries me. But at the same time, I'm sure it worries Justin Thomas. So he's probably working on his driver. He's probably working on uh, less than driver, which you can hit a lot of less than driver around Sawgrass and position the ball beautifully around. So I like Justin Thomas. He's not my favorite in the range, um, but I, I do. I, I'm leaning more towards play than fade on JT right now. I'm looking at this range, and I mean, I see. Uh, so Bryson won in his last start. Uh, Morikawa won in his last start. Hovland has won in what his last five or six, going back to Mayakoba. Um, Cantley won four or five starts ago. Reed won a couple of starts. I, I mean, this is like, see, I, I this is crazy, man. I, I, what are we doing at the bottom with Finau? And Patrick Reed, I mean, arguably, these are some of the hotter players on the PGA Tour. Uh, Reed has been a bit more volatile, but what do we do with the – even Patrick Cantley, what do we do with the bottom? Yeah, and I think Patrick Cantley and Finau are going to be really popular. Not so much Reed, but but listen, you you have to make some decisions here. And so for me, looking at Cantley, Finau, and Reed – most of those guys are in good form. I mean, particularly Finau, but you can go back and look at course history because really all three of those guys, their their course history is pretty middling, if not bad, at least relative to their standards. So listen, you can make the argument for Victor Hovland and Colin Morikawa. Well, they don't have course history other than maybe round one last year before the <laughs> tournament got canceled, which if memory serves, Colin did great. And, and I don't know if Victor Hovland was in that tournament. So so maybe somebody can look into that. But the, the point is, yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to get there with Cantley, Finau, or Reed. I think Cantley and Finau are going to be really popular. So it's going to be a really easy pivot for me because A, they're popular and B, I like so many other guys in this range. I don't not like them. I just like other guys more. So I do have uh, on my site, I do have round one from last year, which is kind of really wonky to go back and look at. So you're absolutely right. Morikawa was uh, in a tie for seventh after round one. Victor Hovland, same spot. They were both in seventh after that first round. But technically, this is going to be their debut this time around. Greg, I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna, I, we need to narrow this down. So I'm going to put each of you on the spot here, and I'll do the same. Uh, we'll start with you, Greg. You're, you have to give me your top three in order from this range. Who are they? Uh, Webb Simpson. Okay. Patrick Cantlay. Well, he's okay. popular for a reason. And Justin Thomas in that order. Okay, this is really hard. Um, I think yeah. this is really hard. This is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Okay, I'll go with Bryson 1 because I think you'd be $1,000 cheap, uh, more expensive if, if the pricing came out today. So I think I have to do that. I'll go with JT number 2, and then I will go with oh God, Morikawa number 3. Uh, I, I just think he's he has shown us the, the winning prowess is, is unbelievable. Sia, your top three from this 9K range. Webb Simpson, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland. Wow, that, you made that sound a lot easier than... I think I thought to, it was. I'm trying to be <laughs> decisive here. I mean, honorable mention to Bryson. I, the value is there, and maybe to JT. But but I like the, those three stuck out to me right when I when I looked at the yeah. DraftKings pricing. Bryson just gets the he won last week. Like we're <laughs> we're can we just be done? Can we be done with that for a week? Take a week off? I don't know. I, do you, think, do you think Bryson's taking a week off, Greg? Do you think Bryson's no, taking no, a week he's off? Not. So I mean, maybe it's but it's just there's so many there's so much. This is the Thanksgiving lineup, right? You get what there's whatever you want here, Ooh. and there's all you can eat. Wow! Did you just come up with that right now, or did you have that? Yeah, plan? it just popped into my head. I had to say. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, all right, gentlemen, we got to jump into the 8K range, which is just as fun as the 9K range is. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? 
You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. And we're back. It's March. You know there are plenty of bracket games, and we've got six tournaments and six chances to win $10,000. You can fill out one conference bracket or all of them. It's up to you. Conferences that we have, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, SEC, and Big East. You can create a pool with your friends or fill out brackets for your chance to win $10,000 on the CBS Sports app or at cbssports.com slash conference. The $8,000 range on DraftKings is headlined by Scotty Scheffler and Daniel Berger. We have last year's first round leader and course record holder Hideki Matsuyama in this range and it goes down to uh, some old friends Adam Scott and Jason Day guys who have played this event an absolute ton. Sia, I'll point this in your direction first. Who's moving the needle most for you in the $8,000 range? So I don't absolutely love this range. I think a lot of my teams are going to have some heavy 9K range and then just dip to the 7K range. But there are some people I'm obviously going to play. I think Daniel Berger is interesting, even though his track record here is is pretty bad, honestly, at least per Daniel Berger's standards. And 35th at the WGC doesn't really speak to me. I mean, obviously, he won at AT AT&T. The other two guys that I have my eye on here, I think I'm finally going to be skipping over Terrell Hatton, even though I'm super impressed by the way he fought and came back. And really helped all my DFS lineups on Friday. But going down into the range, Hideki, I don't normally have him. but And it's not really just because round one, he was just an, an animal last year. I mean, his track record here is very good. I mean, his game certainly suits this course. And finally, he's at a price that I think is acceptable. Because typically, Hideki Matsuyama is just a little bit more expensive. And he never kind of lives up to the price. At this price, I actually think he might be okay. Um, the other guy, uh, Adam Scott. I mean, yeah. he's he's been playing pretty well, and his track record here is excellent. Track record is excellent. The guy that I <laughs> might be most interested in, uh, his track record is not excellent. It's Jordan Spieth, who has been, I mean, uh, Sawgrass has just been kryptonite for this guy. But we have been well documenting this on the first cut pod. Uh, now 14 out of 16 rounds since the Farmers Insurance Open, he has gained strokes on approach, which is a, a very good sign. Obviously, lots of danger lurking around Sawgrass. But hey, Jordan Spieth's got a little magical find a way to figure it out. Greg, I point this now to you. Uh, we've got Jason Day here. Can I entice you with that? Can I entice you with Matthew Fitzpatrick, Sung JM? What does it for you? So uh, Jason Day, I need to see his iron play. He just doesn't hit enough greens. And yeah. it just becomes too difficult for him. So uh, he's got a great record here. It wouldn't surprise me if he uh, was somewhat in the mix. But the guy that I'm really looking at is Scotty Scheffler. Uh, and Scotty Scheffler is the reason for this is his accuracy off the tee. He's long off the tee. He hits a, he averages 305 off the tee. Uh, he's 29th on tour. He's 22nd on tour in driving accuracy, uh, nearly 68% of his fairways. And at that length, that's an extremely accurate driver of the golf ball. So I, I think that's going to be a very advantageous thing for him. It may allow Scotty to hit driver where others don't, where others are throttling back. Um, and he's going to gain a little bit of an advantage there. So I, I think Scotty Scheffler is going to have a great week off the tee. Um, he's a good putter too. He's, um, I mean, at times he's a good putter. It's probably the weakness in his game. Um, other Look, his iron play from a strokes gain standpoint is his weakness, but he hits a lot of greens. And I think that is a a really good thing here at Sawgrass. He'll be able to give himself plenty of birdie opportunities. So um, I really like Scotty Scheffler in this range. And then coming off of that, I think that uh, Paul Casey has been playing some great golf. Mm-hmm. And his tee to green game is so steady right now. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Paul Casey on... Uh, on the 17th hole with the chance to win this week. So I would say those are my top two guys in this range. Hatton, I know Mark's big on Hatton this week. He fought hard, as Sia mentioned. So I like him too. I just maybe have a slight edge toward uh, toward Paul Casey over Hatton. 
So I love Paul Casey. Uh, I think that's pretty well documented. He's, he's a great ball striker. That's what I love. He, here's my my issue, Greg, and maybe we chalk this up to just being sawgrass. He's got 12 starts here. He's missed the cut in half of them. He's withdrawn two other occasions, and his best finish, his best finish ever was his first, 2004. That's like a lifetime ago for some of these guys. Yeah, I understand that. And I, I looked at that, and I gave it a, a big thought. But... I feel that course history here means as little as it does anywhere else on the PGA Tour. I, I just okay. think it, it's not sticky, and you, you'll see guys win here after missing the cut the last two years. You just got to get a little bit of confidence out here. You got to get a sight line on a couple of tee shots, and maybe it's a shot in your game you have off the tee that's a new shot, or there's, there's some way that you can help manage your way around the game. I, I think he's playing too well, so I would take a chance on Paul Casey in this, in this range. Yeah, and to your point, both um, both Rory and Jason Day won this off of missing the cut the previous year. I, I think it might yeah. just be this is kind of a a, a a wild place and and things happen, and yeah, maybe that's all. I, it I is. really think so. It, it makes it really hard to predict. <laughs> Certainly does. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think I've got to start putting some respect on on Matthew Fitzpatrick's name here a bit. Sia, I mean, he's he does now. Uh, what I love, which is gain strokes in all four major categories, which is always a, a great sign of his floor, and it's showing up in his results as well. He had another T10 last week at the API. He had an 11th at the workday uh, in the start previous. He finished fifth at Riviera. I mean, it just now seems like Fitzpatrick is popping up on the first or second page of the leaderboard um, on a near weekly basis. Yeah, he's super solid. He's super steady. I mean, his track record here isn't isn't great, but to Greg's point, that's okay because he's he's really in really good form right now. So, yeah, I have no problem with Fitzpatrick, especially at this price. If you recall last week, I believe Fitzpatrick was 9,700 or somewhere in that range. So it was a lot more expensive. You know, getting him down here almost in the 7K range is is pretty is is a pretty nice steal, in my opinion. Yes, he was 9,800 and he was about 16 percent owned last week, which I imagine I imagine he's probably gonna be less than that because there's a lot of really good options. So it might be an interesting spot to get a cheaper, lesser owned Fitzpatrick. That combination of things doesn't happen often. 7K range, gentlemen. Uh, Here's your classic huge range from DraftKings. Not only is it a massive field, but this, this is the big range. It goes from Cam Smith, Tommy Fleetwood, and Justin Rose all the way down to Benny on Chris Kirk, a Phil Mickelson sighting at a flat $7,000. <laughs> and uh, Greg, I want to get your thoughts on this range, but I want to tee up a bit on Louis Eustazen, who, listen, he burned 10% of everybody last week. And there's going to be some people who are not interested in playing Louis because he withdrew after this tournament locked and burned their lineups. But the guy did not hit a single shot last week. I don't think we should penalize him, and he's coming in in good form. Are you willing to buy back in on Louie after what he did to everybody last week? Yeah, that, uh, I, a PGA Tour player is not thinking about everybody's <laughs> DraftKings lineups. I know that comes as um, as disappointing news to what? most of you out there. Uh, I know it, it it's offensive to me too, but that's the truth. <laughs> so we have to deal with it. Um, but you're right, Rick. Louis is in coming in in really good form. He's 11th at the Waste Management. He was uh, he was sixth at the Workday Charity Open, and he has a way of playing hard golf courses really well. So uh, I'm not a, I'm not opposed to Louis at all. Um, I, I think he has the he has the mental fortitude of what it takes around here as well. When things don't go his way, it, he's not going to get too upset about it. He's kind of things can roll off of his back, and I think you could see Louis go. I think he, he could play around where he goes really low. So I, I do I do like Louis. He's not my favorite in the range, but I do like Louis a lot. Okay, who is your favorite in the range? You knew I was going to ask you. That. Will, yeah, of course, <laughs> Will Zalatoris. Right? I mean, how this is he is amazing. The run that Will Zalatoris is on is amazing. He's got to be in your lineup because he's he could be due for a win. I mean, just you got to read the whole the whole game log to get his recent form. Right? It's it's ever since he's been on tour, he's been lights out. You got to put this guy in your lineup. He's my favorite in the seven K. Probably popular, but I think he may be worth it. 
he's been doing this for over a year. I mean, even if you go back to what he did on the corn ferry, he, he has, he has finished basically inside the top 20 of almost every single professional event he has played in like the last 18 months. It's 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 unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It it really is incredible uh, what he's doing now up to the number 46 ranked player in the world. The seven K range Sia offers uh, basically anything that you want here. Um, You know, I, I asked Greg about Louie, a guy who kind of burned everybody last week i'll ask you about sam burns a guy who burned everybody last week and if we're willing to go back to one sam burns at the players championship yeah i don't have a problem going back to him off of a terrible week but there's again there's so many other guys in this range that if i do go back to him it's going to be really low end ownership for me so i mean i i like sam burns upside i've been on him for for quite some time but with that said, there's so many other guys I like. Like Cam Smith, for example, is a nice little contrarian pivot, I think, in this 7K range. I don't think people are generally on him a lot. But I'll tell you, you know, against really packed fields like this, he's been really good lately. And so I'm actually expecting something out of Cam Smith. A couple of my favorite guys, I'll start with Tommy Fleetwood. Great course history here. And I think he's finally found it with the Irons. I think it's we might be getting the old Tommy Fleetwood. And if that's the case, then this is going to pay off he's going to pay off his price tremendously. So I like Tommy Fleetwood. Um, Abraham Answer is is a solid play. I think he'll probably be a little bit popular. He's, he tends to be a popular guy, especially when he's priced at, at this range. But I think Answer's game translates here. I think he has upside. I think he's hung around the top of leaderboards on Saturdays and Sundays before, and he's not going to be intimidated by this field. And then, of course, Will Zalatoris. I mean, I, I don't really think you can go wrong with Will Zalatoris. I probably shouldn't have said that because I just jinxed him, but Will <laughs> Zalatoris is super solid. Off the tee approach. We're looking for ball strikers. He's got it. We guarantee a Will Zalatoris top 20, and you can get your money back uh, from what you paid to watch this podcast if uh, if that goes awry. Greg, there's one guy here who... I guess there's more than that, but the guy that everybody's going to want to talk about, what we're going to hear on Friday afternoon, if he's near that cut line, is Sergio Garcia, who has not missed a cut at the Players' Championship since 2003. So that is, by my count, uh, what, 17 in a row, I believe we're up to? Uh, How do we feel about Sergio making that 18 in a row this week? Um, I think that it's, it's reasonable. I do. I think it's reasonable. I think Sergio clearly understands how to play the golf course. He has had some uh, some pretty good form. Even though he missed the cut at the Genesis, he shot 72-71. So it wasn't like a, an egregious... Uh, an egregious mistake. It wasn't an incredibly terrible round. Uh, the workday didn't go great. He shot a couple of bad rounds, but also he shot a couple of 67s. So I, I think Sergio has a real chance of making the cut. He's not my favorite guy in the range. I don't see him doing much more than making the cut. Um, especially you got you got Abraham Answer at the same price, who Sia mentioned, who I, I think is uh, set to have a great week because of his accuracy. Uh, it, I think he's second on tour off the tee. So I love Answer. Um, but Sergio, I, I think he'll make the cut, but I don't think he's going to make a ton of my lineups. At the bottom of the 7K range, and see, I'd like to get your opinion on if we should even remotely use that one round from from last year because there's a guy at $7,100, Christian Bezadenhut, who, while Hideki Matsuyama gets a lot of the run for being your first-round leader uh, last year, Bezadenhut was second uh, after one round, and he's coming off a great finish at the API. I don't particularly like how he did it, reliant on the short game, but I want to open up a bigger conversation about if we should be using that one round at all from last year. Not real. I mean, maybe a little bit, because I'll be using it a little bit for Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland. But in this range, I'm not really as excited about it because the win equity isn't really there. But with that said, I mean, his approach game is great. And that's I think that's going to be a big focal point here. So I get it. You know, he's not super long off the tee, but he's he's going to be good with that second shot. And he's I mean, he's a fine play. But but again, there's so many good plays in the 7K range. I mean, I, I look up at Cameron Tringal, who who's also a great second shot guy. I look at a guy like Ryan Palmer at 7,300, who is very hit or miss, very volatile, but, you know, has performed well here in the past. And, you know, in his last four or five tournaments, he's he's up or down. But when he's up, it's a seriously good play. So, you know, the problem with Christian Bezedenhut is probably that he, he might be a little bit popular and... You know, you, you might feel like you're chasing points if he ends up missing the cut or if he ends up just being like super average because 
we just saw what he did, and we're we're just like we're trying to find that lightning in a bottle again. And I'm not so sure that's going to happen. Do you think you'd be chasing points if you went with Lee Westwood? I honestly was I, I was going to serve that up to you guys before the show because I really want to use Lee Westwood, but then I don't want to feel like the guy that's like, oh man, I, I you know recency bias. Oh, I just saw this this guy that nobody was on do well, and then so for me, I. I think he's I think he's fine to use here. I'm definitely going to have him in some lineups. Will I have him in like a big single entry like the ones we were talking about at the start of the show? Probably not. I, I, I've you know I've I've got other guys I like a little bit better, but Lee Westwood looks really good, and frankly, he's kind of been in good form for quite some time now, and we're just kind of ignoring it. That, that to me is, I think, a little bit of the difference. You know, uh, Bezayden Hoot won, uh, as we're comparing these two about chasing points, he won twice back-to-back on that, on the European tour. Uh, they were weaker fields in South Africa, but he won both of those. Westwood's been a lot better, Greg. I mean, so so it, it's you, it, it would feel like you're chasing points on the PGA Tour, but, uh, I, I mean, he won the, the race to Dubai last year. So obviously he had a great season in Europe. So I, I would argue that Westwood doesn't necessarily feel that way. Yeah, and I I think uh, I'm I'm pretty favorably going back to Westwood here because he again I think he fits the model I think he'll be able to putt the putting stroke really impressed me on Sunday a um, couple got away from him but I I think Lee Westwood really impressed me last week and I think it's going to work again here at the player so I, I'm going back to the well there. $6,000 range on DraftKings is led by Adam Hadwin, Brian Harmon, Keegan Bradley, Seb Munoz, all the way down to, let's see who's the min price this week. Oh, Zinzun Zhang, Tyler McCumber, Sung Kang, Scott Harrington, um, Harry Higgs, Cam Percy. Wow, there's a lot of guys who are min priced this week. Sia, uh, who is our favorite play in the $6,000 range? Yeah, there's a lot of decent plays here. I don't think we'll have to dip down here too much. I mean, I, I like Emiliano Grillo. You guys know I was on him last week too, and I'm I'm kind of one of one of I'm in the executive branch of his fan club somewhere. I mean, it's not the Ryan Palmer type stuff, but I really like he's just a great ball striker. What's interesting about him is that his approach game really hasn't been that good as of the last four or five tournaments. It looks like he might have turned that around last week. It's off the tee game has actually been really good. So if that if that approach game is sort of refound the way, you know, Grio usually strikes it and he's matching it up with the off the tee game, I think there's a lot of upside there in the 6K range. The first team I made actually had Grio on it. A couple other guys I, I kind of like, and honestly, this range is very deep, so this will progress as the week goes. But James Hahn, super cheap and sometimes can be a great ball striker. He's kind of up and down, but has upside and flashed that upside just, what was it, a month ago when he was Phoenix. three shots up? On, yeah, there you go, at the waste management, three shots up on the back nine. Uh, over Xander. So James Hahn's interesting and Tyler Duncan. I know he's he's all the way down there and, and guys like Cam Percy too. Those two guys strike the ball really well. They're, they're accurate off the tee and their approach game. If you look at Tyler Duncan's approach stats just last week, he lost a ton with the putter, but his approach was fantastic. It was one of the best in the field. So we're just, just because these guys are ranked in the 6K range, it doesn't mean they're super deficient in a lot of these strokes gain metrics. Some of them flash. The problem is, is they're usually really weak in one other category. And it's like the putter, for example. And so you have to try to get lucky there. I'll never forget that James Hahn collapsed. But to put a little uh, numbers to that to that note there, Tyler Duncan, yeah, was second in the field in strokes gained approach last week behind only Corey Connors. Uh, so obviously very good in that category. I similarly, Greg, try to lean on some of these ball strikers. I'm willing to give Matthew Neesmith a pass for missing the cut last week. He gained another two and a half strokes on approach, but lost four with the flat stick. That's okay. Brandon Seal had another great ball striking week or another great week last week, and he's historically a ball striker. But who in this 6K range is giving you the warm and fuzzies? So Neesmith got me last week. He was one of the guys I was pretty high on, and um, I'm not afraid of going back his way. I agree with you there, Rick. Uh, the other guy who, um, and again, I agree with C. I don't think there's going to be a lot of action down here, except for maybe in the, the couple DJ lineups that I go with. But I think Michael Thompson is an interesting play. If you want to go really top-heavy, he's been a really good player, a little inconsistent so far this year. But I think he's proved that he believes he can play out on the PGA Tour. And while this, there aren't a lot of stats that back it up, he has gotten hot with the putter in the past. Um, as recently as the American Express, he was also hot with the putter last year when he won at the, uh, at the 3M Open. And he's a pretty solid iron player. So I like what I see with his golf swing. 
and and after winning the 3M Open last year, he was. Um, it sounds so obvious to say extremely confident and and he was really confident with not just the way that he played because he won but he was confident in the direction he was going in and he's a guy that kind of re he saved his career and i wouldn't be surprised if he came out in a big tournament like this uh, and competed i think the 6k range is is an interesting one because the depth of field is such that some of these guys are going to get into the mix. Like you talk about it every week, Rick, and finding that one guy is a challenge. It feels like a dart throw. Um, but I, th- I think Michael Thompson could be a guy um, on the right side of it. All right, let's play this game. Uh, let's go. The Who's the lowest guy that you would feel comfortable in rostering? And I'll, I'll go first here. And, and my answer is probably Johnny Vegas, who is coming off of a runner-up finish in Puerto Rico. He's $6,300. And what I know about Vegas is that he is a very good driver of the golf ball, and he has been for some time. And he's got a good, at least one recent uh, finish here in Puerto Rico, or excuse me, at TPC Sawgrass, which was his third place finish in 2019, which was highlighted by, I believe, what is still the longest putt that has ever been made on the Island Green the 17th it was quite fascinating see ya who is the cheapest golfer that you would feel comfortable rostering this week well i just sung the praises of tyler duncan so <laughs> I, I think that's probably my answer but but if i have to pivot off that just for the sake of answering this question listen i know we i just kind of frowned upon chasing points but richie Wawrenski is sitting here at 6400 and you might think oh well he was good last week flash of the pan well he's made five cuts in a row and if you look at his track record here i believe it was 47th and 23rd his last two here i think it was his only two here so he's a guy that is going to fit nicely in your lineup has a ton of confidence for, presumably so he's making all kinds of cuts and he's made the cuts here quite comfortably in fact so and by the way even dating back to last year we, we know the greg ducharme story of course you know he was on he was on my radar as well around that time, and it was because he was striking the ball really well. So I think that's a fine play. All right. We've got a vote for Johnny Vegas. We've got a Richie Warinsky vote. Greg, the cheapest golfer you would feel comfortable rostering this week. This may surprise you. Um, I'm going to go down to the 6K range. Okay. I, and I mean, not the 6K range, like like up to, oh. I mean, like 6,000. Like oh, the wow. mid, like six k, six k. Wait, can I guess? Can I guess? Yeah, yeah. Take All right. Guess. So there's like there's like fifteen guys at six thousand. Um, Cam Percy. Ooh, um, I would see. I'm, you're right in the range. Okay. <laughs> All right. So so I would, can I, I, I'm not. Yeah, ahead, I'm not against that. Go ahead. Is, see ya. Ryan Armour. No, no, I don't. Uh, that's a. That's a fade for me, um, a, a very brave fade. And no, it's not Tyler McCumber, Jacob. Another good guess. Guy, these guys have all come. The guy is, and there's a reason for this. There's a reason he's 6K. There's a reason why he's my my min price guy this week. Uh, Austin Cook. And I think Austin Cook is the ultimate popper. We say Marty Laird. We, we said this. Uh, Marty Laird this is week. the ultimate popper. He's a great popper. But so is Austin Cook. And he just, Austin Cook has a way of finding himself keeping his card because of just a an elite performance once or twice in a year. And he hasn't popped since, uh, I think it was the Shriners earlier in the year. So he's getting close to that time where Austin Cook is due. If Austin Cook doesn't have a great week this week, he will, but sometime between now and I'll say the memorial okay i know that's a couple months away but this is austin cook we're talking about right it's not like i'm saying dj is going to have a good week between now and the u.s open so uh yeah austin cook i'd feel extremely risky about but it's that kind of week all right it's that kind of week gentlemen thank you as always producer jacob does all the hard work behind the scenes that right there is sia najad you can follow him on twitter at Sia Najah. That's Greg Ducharme. You can follow on Twitter at the real GFD. You can follow me at Rick Run Good. This has been the first cut. We'll catch you next time. most all-star studded challenge ever and this time it's every competitor for themselves best challenge ever the challenge all-stars new season now streaming on paramount plus go to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply